Hi, this is Gordon Russell, host of The Neutral Ground, the New Orleans Advocate's weekly podcast on the stories behind some of the stories that are making waves in South Louisiana this week. Thanks to our sponsors, Gardner Realtors, and thank you for joining us. Hi, and thanks for listening today. Uh, Today I'll be talking to reporter John Zimmerman about a couple of uh, long-shot lawsuits, Hail Marys, you might call them, brought by Saints season ticket holders against the NFL over the missed call in the NFC Championship game. Then we'll visit with reporter Feynman Roberts about some changes in the Jefferson Parish president's race. And last, Jefferson Parish School Superintendent Kate Brumley will stop by to talk about uh, his first year in the job and an upcoming millage election in Jefferson Parish. Uh, First up is John. Uh, John, thanks for coming by today. Uh, Good to see you. So uh, let's start with what happened. Yes, there's there's two lawsuits uh, brought by Saints season ticket holders, and one of them got a hearing of sorts in federal court yesterday. Um, and these are suits against the NFL. What what happened yesterday? Well, yesterday there was an hour long hearing uh, on one of these suits involving two ticket holders uh, who want to see the NFL commissioner Roger Goodell take some action over the blown pass interference call uh, against the Saints receiver uh, that uh, kind of uh, helped wash out the Saints' hopes uh, to be in the Super Bowl on Sunday. Uh, And it was an interesting hearing because the federal judge, Susie Morgan, who's uh, usually associated with the New Orleans Police Department consent decree, uh, got the uh, draw on this case. (laughs) And she was quite uh, confused uh, about just what exactly the plaintiff's uh, lawsuit was. Was it a class action? Was it not a class action? And what they were seeking. Um, I remember last week when we first saw the lawsuit, which started out in state court, uh, Gordon, both of us were looking for, okay, what it is, what is it? What do they want? want? (laughs) And it was was kind of uh, confusing. And the federal judge found the same thing. So they were kind of hashing this out yesterday. And uh, what was interesting is that the NFL decided to move this case from state court with an elected city judge, basically, to federal court. And they have that right if it's a class action and if the damages are over $5 million. They don't even need a judge to approve it. They just take it over to federal court. And the parties are from different states. Right. Um, so yesterday, uh, the plaintiffs in this case, the ticket holders, uh, their attorneys don't want it in federal court. Uh, they want it back in state court. They think they can get a better shake there. And understandable, I guess. Understandable. And they um, so then they started kind of narrowing and shaving off exactly what the plaintiffs wanted. Now they're saying they don't want any money. What they and, and then they were saying what we want is for Goodell, for the court to order Goodell to implement rule 17 which is kind of an arcane nfl rule that allows the commissioner uh to remedy an unfair quote calamity on the field um so and that would that would mean essentially replaying the game from the point of the missed call or well now they're not even saying that in court yesterday uh, the attorneys for the plaintiff said i'll just quote this for you the plaintiffs agree that they have no right to have this court or any court order Goodell to fashion a particular remedy or any remedy pursuant to Rule 17. However, they do have the right to compel Goodell to disclose to them whether he even considered the application of Rule 17 in this matter, and if so, the actual steps he took and the remedies, if any, that were imposed. So now they're saying all we want is for Goodell to investigate this or show how he investigated it, and let's get this out in the open. So they're really kind of 
you know, this last week when they filed in state court, they were talking about the damages from mental anguish and emotional trauma and the enjoyment of life and the distrust <laughs> in the game. So, uh, you know, they're so, really trying to keep this thing afloat, get it out of federal court, get it back in state court where they think maybe they can at least turn the screws on the commissioner a little so bit. So at this point, they're really just hoping to get Roger Goodell to answer some questions almost. I mean, the game is, the Super Bowl is Sunday. Clearly, right. this that's not changing, and the Saints aren't going to be in it. Certainly appears that way. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, if you look at this, these lawsuits, uh, most legal analysts say they're larks, they're long shots. Uh, there's a lot of case law behind not being allowed to tell uh, you know a private entity what to do in in, in cases like this and in particular sports cases um but uh, you know i think if you look at the lawsuits like we want to make things really uncomfortable for the commissioner and see if we can get to the bottom of whether they just brush this off or not uh you know right. then then it makes some kind of sense and yesterday the attorney for the for the nfl conceded um that the call had been blown which is nfl has kind of done in a sort of a low-key sort of way, but not... Roger Goodell has still made no statement about it, so There's that was... no formal official statement from the NFL. It's been sort of back channels to Sean Payton or, you know, through uh, ESPN or whatnot that, oh, yeah, we admit that, that it was a blown call. But this was the first sort of official statement by an attorney who was hired by the NFL, local attorney Gladstone Jones, who basically said, we would have liked to see that call have been, you know that that would have been made and that's the extent of the sort of official him and about a million other people in this city um so i guess the question i have about this well i, I sort of assumed this would be laughed out of court or that it would be thrown out yesterday but the judge actually asked for additional briefings right well i think she wants to know that she has jurisdiction to handle this case i mean i think that, that that's sort of where we are is looking at the jurisdictional issue about can she say this case belongs in my court and therefore now I can throw it out. Oh, I see. So it's not so much she, she's taking the fundamental issues, not that she's not taking it seriously, but it's not some, the briefings aren't because she thinks there's some weighty legal question before her other than the question of whether this belongs in her court at all. There's no real evidence that she's uh, planning to summon Roger Goodell to court and, and put him under oath or he something. He wasn't like seen that. yesterday. <laughs> right. I don't believe he'll be back. Well, I guess, I mean, these suits have to have a sort of a, a beneficial effect potentially for some of the lawyers who bring them too. I mean, you've got, I mean, uh, and I'm not suggesting they have any cynical motive necessarily, but Frank D'Amico, who's a well-known uh, lawyer who, who kind of does, you know, uh, I don't, uh, slip and fall kind of cases or, uh, you know, he's he's got ads where he calls himself the strong arm. Well, now right. he's, he's gotten a lot of national and local media attention for being the guy who took on the nfl yeah it's pretty good and and relatively easy press i think for him uh i think you know that you run the risk if in frivolous lawsuits of a judge censuring you uh for for bringing something that's frivolous i'm not saying this is uh but in this case you're probably running a little less of that risk uh from a new orleans judge and i mean even though this suit may not have a ton of merit it does um raise points that I think a lot of people sort of agree with and, and broadly it's not it's not he's not alleging false facts it's more like it's more like a question of what's the remedy here yeah and where was Roger Goodell in this yeah. whole thing I think you know I think people thought and think and and maybe it's true that he has the authority to you know 
stop, let's look at this, let's change it while, you know, it's taking place. Um, I think people just want to know, you know, what could he have done and, and why didn't he? Right. So when do we expect the, them to next be in court? There's no court date set. The judge, Susie Morgan, has taken uh, all of these briefs. There were more briefs filed yesterday in between this uh, noon public hearing and a private in-chambers session that uh, took place at 5 p.m. and lasted about an hour and a quarter. And, and they all the lawyers came out saying nothing had been resolved. Uh, that, I don't think that there's any kind of compromise or negotiation going on, but mm -hmm. I think in the next couple of days she'll probably issue some, some kind ruling. of ruling. I mean, should the Saints be studying their playbooks and everything just in case they have to yeah, run out there on Sunday? Yeah, there are a lot of theories about how they could handle this, one of them being let's just throw the Saints and the Rams on the field before the Super Bowl and whoever wins, uh, you know, gets to play in the game. it on and, and let's go against the Patriots. But I, I can't see that as happening, although uh, it might make for some good ratings. All right. Well, thanks for coming by today, John. Thanks. Okay, stopping by to join me now is Feynman Roberts, who covers Jefferson Parish politics for The Advocate. Uh, Feynman, some big news this week on your beat uh, with uh, Cynthia Lee Shang, the parish councilwoman, announcing that she's going to run for parish president, something that had been, you know, she'd been sort of openly considering, but she committed to it. What tell, well, start by telling us a little bit about her. Uh, Cynthia Lee Sheng is the daughter of former longtime Jefferson Parish Sheriff Harry Lee. I think he was a sheriff for about 27, 28 years. Um, she's been a parish political force for a decade now. She first ran for uh, the council about 10 years ago. Uh, she's right around 50 years old, uh, um, and she has moved from her district seat. She was in a Metairie-based district, and now she is an at-large councilwoman. So she's already been elected. Parish-wide. Uh, Parish-wide. So that obviously lends her uh, – it's an advantage when she's now running for parish president. It's a good perch to run from. It right? is. It is absolutely a good perch. It's um, it's a powerful political position too. And so she's had ample opportunity to sort of build her allies across the entire parish. So – and just for those who may not be experts on Jefferson Parish, and I might count myself in that number, but uh, – the parish council is sort of a rival force to the parish president in Jefferson Parish, whereas as compared to in New Orleans where we have sort of a strong mayor city council system where where right. the mayor really has substantially more power. I think in most home rule charter parishes, the parish president is usually the more powerful of the two. It's the person who runs the administration, who makes a lot of the decisions on contracting, especially professional service contracts and things of that nature. In Jefferson Parish, however, the council, and especially also given that the council only has seven seats uh, across a very large parish, so each parish councilman carries a significant block of voters with them. Uh, the Jefferson Parish Council is very powerful, and the at-large council people who uh, essentially switch off the chairmanship of the council are the two most powerful uh, council people uh, in the parish. So, yeah, it absolutely is a is a rival force to the parish president. Okay. And just uh, so, so moving on here, um, this is obviously an interesting race in part because we've got a very badly damaged parish president, Mike Yenny, who was 
uh, tarnished by a sexting scandal right. uh, a couple of years ago right. that he uh, he remains the parish president, but but uh, has not indicated whether he's going to run for re-election. And there's some, I guess, conflicting polling you might say out there, but there's some some serious signs that he's in real trouble, including that he hasn't committed to running. But right. walk us through what the numbers have shown and what that sort of thing. Right. So Yenny's sexting scandal broke. <laughs> Uh, less than a year, a year or so after he was first elected. So it was in 2016. Um, and since then, he's been just widely viewed as a damaged political figure, um, even though he has continued to operate uh, as if nothing has happened. Um, the two sort of touch points that everybody is pointing to now, especially in relates as it relates to the parish president's race, is the recent sheriff's race between Johnny Fortunato and Joe Lapinto, in which our reporting reflects and a lot of off-the-record comments that Johnny Fortunato had a significant uh, polling lead until an infamous interview uh, on the hot seat with Trevor Smackle on WDSU, where in a rapid-fire session, he said he would not call on Yenny to resign. And I think he said he would support him. He would support him. Yeah. It was two quick questions. He yeah. said he wouldn't call on him to resign. He would support him. Um uh, Fortunato was working with the same political consultant that Yenny uses, and the two were quickly paired together. I mean, viewed as allies, that caused what most people believe to be a precipitous fall in Fortunato's polling numbers, and he lost the race by three points. Right. He walked this. He also walked the stuff back. He did. Day, but, but 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 it, but it was too late. The, the damage, damage was done. Right. Um, but then you've got a UNO poll that right. is more sort yeah. of less less negative about about Yenny. Well, yes. And, and the In poll, a way. You're right. And the, it's the UNO quality of life poll. I think they do it annually. And it said something like 60% of the people in the parish are happy with the direction the parish, pre, with the job the parish president is doing or, or some something like that, you know, and um, uh, but that wasn't a specific it didn't if say what he was running against right. so and so. Who would you vote for? Right. It didn't. It didn't have that in there. And so Mike Guinea can rightfully point to that and say people are very satisfied with the way the parish is going. But that doesn't mean that he's going to cruise to re-election. Of course, as you said, should he choose to? And run. that and, and the fact that he has not decided may mean that he won't. It's an and then yeah. and then you've recently had a couple of his top aides kind of right. you know, decamp. For yeah, other right thing. at the end of the year, yeah. like Keith Conley, who was his number two. Uh, uh, left parish government and said he was planning on running for parish-wide office in the fall. Um, at first, he wouldn't rule out for running for parish president, but then he walked that back a little bit and said he didn't think he would run against Yenny. But just the fact that he said he was willing to consider parish president. And that a, he might even run against Yenny. Right. Is which a little is, bit, yeah. yeah, it's an indication that he doesn't think Yenny's going to run. Yenny, for what it's worth, has just steadfastly refused to answer the question. I asked him as recently as yesterday morning. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Keith Conley, another high parish official, a woman named Natalie Newton, also left parish employ. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, those have been widely viewed as signs that uh, that Yenny uh, will not be the parish president after this fall, uh, you know, pending the election. Right. Um, now let's talk a little bit a little bit more about who's in the race. So the only announced candidate, Mike Yenny, not having announced it. You've got John Young, who right. has announced, and he's – a two-term, fairly popular parish president. Um, but even so, it seems like people, I haven't seen any polling, but it seems like people view Cynthia Lee Shang as kind of a juggernaut in announcing. What? How do you, how do you assess all of that? 
And and I should ask you, I think we said that we interviewed John Young the other day and he said he's not, her entry into the race will not get him out of the race. Right. During the fall, a lot of the speculation was that Cynthia would get into the race. Um, and she was asked about it numerous times, again, refused to commit. But John Young announced early, I mean, I think more than a year before the election that he planned to run for parish president. Well, political gossip being what it is, many people speculated that if Cynthia got in to the race, John would switch and run for at-large council person, which is a full-time job. Uh, at least it pays like a full-time job, whether they work it or not is another question. Um, and it's a good position. John Young has rejected, batted aside, dismissed out of hand uh, that notion. He insists he's running for parish president, and that's that. And so that leaves in this race the former parish president who took over after after Aaron Broussard and was widely viewed as having done an okay job, um, and and Cynthia Lee Sheng. But given that, it is hard not to view Cynthia Lee Sheng as the favorite in this race. She is going to, and I don't think anybody's officially announced yet, have an impressive array of Jefferson Parish politicos behind her. She has a great reputation as a very sober, clear-minded, um, calm, non-controversial official. So, And she's, she's the daughter of one of the most beloved officials or legendary officials in, yes. in parish history. Controversial at times, of course. But Many yeah. of those things I just yeah. said about her would yeah. not apply to her. Right. <laughs> <laughs> about her sober, clear-minded, non-controversial right nature but uh she obviously does carry that lineage uh with her as okay. well which is is almost certainly an advantage now just to wrap up here um this this also causes causes repercussions right. around the rest of the landscape right. there and so her entry into the race opens up her seat on the parish mm -hmm. council potentially creates some opportunities for shuffling around what what what, what might we see there right i mean there's going to be a lot of shuffling around um i think what we're looking at and this is just my own personal projection here is that 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 means there will be two at-large seats. Her at-large colleague, Chris Roberts, is term limited. So both at-large seats on the council are open. Uh, are open. So uh, Councilman Paul Johnson, currently the District 2 Councilman, has already said he plans to run. Uh, Councilman uh, Ricky Templet, the District 1 Councilman, is mulling a run. He has not officially announced a run. Um, Jennifer Van Franken, the current district, I think that's District 5 council person, uh, councilwoman, has been mentioned. She has not said anything. Jennifer's only in her first term in her district council seat, but she's been mentioned as a possible candidate for the at-large seats. So you have those. That will obviously create if if more opportunities more opportunities in the district council seat. So we're, and we're then, looking at a big shuffle. And Roberts could turn around and run for his old district right. seat again. Uh, or I don't know if he ever represented the district. He did. Yeah, so he could run for that That's since right. he moment out he, of the at-large. He so. could pop right back into a district seat okay. and uh, – and I'm sure he would be very, very happy to do so. All right. Well, the, uh, we'll keep an eye on the musical chairs. Um, thanks for coming by today, Feynman. Great. Thanks for having me, Gordon. All right. Uh, joining me now is Kate Brumley, the uh, not really new anymore uh, superintendent of Jefferson Parish Schools. He's been with us now for about a year. I thought maybe we could start off. Well, first of all, Cade, thanks for coming by today. Glad to be here. And I thought maybe you could start off by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself, um, your biography, how you happened to become the superintendent of Jefferson Parish Schools. Yeah, thank you. So uh, I've been around about four decades. Um, hopefully have a long life left to live. 
um, most uh, immediately prior to serving as superintendent in uh, Jefferson Parish Public Schools. Uh, I served for six years as uh, superintendent of the DeSoto Parish School System in North Louisiana and also got to serve as president of the Louisiana Association of School Superintendents, representing about 70 superintendents in the state and about 700,000 uh, public school kids. You know, we, we were able to do some incredible work uh, up in DeSoto, my team. Uh, we did some amazing things. I consider myself super blessed for the outcomes we got for kids. Um, prior to that, uh, served as assistant superintendent, uh, principal, uh, assistant principal, teacher, and coach uh, throughout a, a few systems in, in North Louisiana. Uh, I'm a product of the public school system, K through 12, attended public schools, traditional public schools, and then went on to uh, graduate from state colleges. Um, so this work is is deeply personal to me. Uh, I believe that uh, public education not only sustains our democracy in America, but it should uh, improve our democracy in America. And so I take that uh, responsibility to heart um, and and realize, too, it's a, it's a moral obligation of mine. All right. Well, um, and you went from DeSoto Parish to Jefferson Parish. It's kind of like opposite ends of the spectrum. Uh, one of the smaller or a pretty small district to, to the largest district in the state and, and the most diverse. Yeah. Rel- relatively speaking, most every school system in the state of Louisiana is small uh, compared to Jefferson. If you if you take all the school systems in the state and take the 20 smallest, um, uh that equals the size of Jefferson. Wow. So we, we equal uh, the size of the smallest 20 of the roughly 70 school systems in the state of Louisiana. Um, so, you know, we have, we do have a large footprint. We just have to make sure that's the right footprint. Mm-hmm. And maybe you can talk a little bit about the diversity. And, and I was aware that Jefferson Parish had a very diverse school system, but I was kind of blown away by some of the facts on this sheet you brought by. It's, I mean, just a couple things. Uh, this, this system is 40%. The student body is 40% black, 20, 27% Hispanic, 27% white, 5% Asian. It's got to be one of the most diverse systems in the country. Yeah, it is. Um, and it, it, you know, also is probably, you know, I don't know a system in Louisiana more diverse uh, than, than we are. We are the largest school system in the state with 50,000 kids. Those are our 50,000 reasons we do this work. We're the 98th largest system in America. Um, when you look around the country at, you know, proof points for urban education, you, you can't really look at a lot of different places for, for success. And we're trying to be that model, trying to be that model of, of what is possible in urban education. And it's just, it's incredibly challenging work. Yeah. Well, maybe we should talk a little bit about the, um, <clears throat> the millage proposal that's going to be coming up in May. May the, yes, May 4th. Okay. And so you're looking at a millage of seven, uh, 7.9 mils, right. to, to, which is going to be totally focused on improving teacher and employee pay, correct? So, um, you know, we, we, we had a, a millage that the administration, a former administration, former board put out in November of 2017, and that, that failed uh, in the public vote. And so we absolutely know that we, we have to be more competitive with um, teacher pay in, in our system. And so what we did, um, we took lessons learned from that millage. We took some of the concerns that were raised by um, thoughtful uh, government and non-governmental agencies and, and citizens, and we tried to overcome uh, those areas with, with the new 
proposal, and we and we believe that the new proposal does just that. Okay, and this one, I mean, among other advantages, you think this time you had sort of a divided board the last time, and you expect a more united front this time, and as well, uh, you're hoping to have the backing of the the teachers union as well as some leading business groups which were not really on the same page before is that right yeah so i think we have a unique opportunity right now with a, um, a newly elected board that that has some political uh, uh, capacity um, and um, we just need to uh, i think make sure that we're telling the story of why is this millage important mm-hmm. what our numbers show um, and, and show how a good public education system it, it, it it's not just important so that the teachers have more money in their pocket, but if you're able to supply the best teachers for the children, then um, a good public education does great things for your community, for crime rates, for housing, for the economy, for the military. Um, over and over again, there, there are advantages to having a solid education system. Right now in Jefferson, in terms of property taxes, uh, residents pay about one-third uh, of residents in, say, St. Tammany. Um, uh, you know, we're about half uh, in terms of millage or lower than uh, uh, the surrounding uh, communities. These are, just to be clear, these are millages devoted to schools. Schools, yeah. that's correct. Yeah. And so that's great for us uh, on property tax day right. as a homeowner. <laughs> but the offset of that is that we have um, teachers that are paid about five to $10,000 less than the regional average. Uh, and we have um, school buildings that the average age of our school building is 55 years old Mm -hmm. and that's average so you can you can tell that some of them are upwards of 100 years old wow and just to be clear this uh millage is not intended to really address the physical issues you're you're planning on attacking the sort of human capital side of this and that's a good point so uh 100 of this millage is dedicated to and teacher to teacher and support staff uh pay um 75 going towards teacher pay and that's to raise the, the base amount, but also it rewards good teaching. So teachers who have, have effective evaluations, who have grown kids, they would receive additional dollars. Teachers who want to work in uh, hard-to-staff schools or teachers who um, have a degree that the market tells us should earn more money, um, teachers who want to accept additional leadership responsibilities. So this, this proposal isn't just everybody gets the same dollar amount. Uh, this is a proposal that raises everyone but also gives elevation for people who do good work in hard places with, um, you know, tough certifications. I wanted to go back to something you said a minute ago, Kate, about the uh, how this is good for everybody, not just people who have students in the system. Um, you do have a maybe slightly unique challenge or a tougher challenge in Jefferson Parish in that you have such a high percentage of people who opt for private and parochial schools. Is that a challenge you're looking at facing, you know, you mentioned the business groups and the, and the, uh, teacher unions that you're trying to get on board, but you also have these neighborhood groups that may be concerned about taxes and may feel like they don't have a stake in the system. Is that an important part of this selling this tax? Well, you, you have two things. One, I think, you know, first and foremost, I think you have a general distrust in government. Mm-hmm. Um, and, <laughs> And rightfully so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, I can't just say, trust me and right. expect people to, to trust me. But um, what I think you do have, and if you look, you have a, a new school board that has come in that have been duly elected by the people that have committed to professionalism, uh, you know, financial responsibility, all of, all of these areas that should matter. And, of course, time will tell whether they uphold to that. Um, you know, and, and myself, as superintendent of our administration, we are 
committed to that as well. So, you know, time will tell on a lot of that. Um, over the course of, of my first year on the job, I hope people would say, you know what, he's been part of this community. He's been out with us. He's, he's talked directly to us. He hasn't lied to us. And so I think those things should matter. Um, so that's one part. The second part just being um, Jefferson Parish has such a high percent of parents who choose private or parochial uh, education for their children. And that's not not something that's just started. I mean, there's a rich right. history of, of private and parochial education in Jefferson Parish. And so we think um, that about 40 percent of kids who live in Jefferson Parish attend a, a private or parochial school. So we're not trying to compete with those schools. We're just trying to make sure that all of our public schools are viable options for mm -hmm. kids and families. Okay. Well, um, thank you so much for coming by today and uh, stay with the advocate for more coverage on the millage and of course of the Jefferson Parish uh, schools in general. And uh, thanks again for coming by. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. The Neutral Ground is brought to you by Gardner Realtors. We welcome your feedback and your ideas for future shows. Email me at grussell, with two S's and two L's, at theadvocate.com, or call me at 504-636-7437. See you next week.